Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Troy Lather, and I'm the pastor of the West Bend site here at Kettlebrook. I want to welcome you. Uh, you'll see our ushers are going to start to take an offering at this time. If you're visiting with us, we want you to understand that the offering is really intended for folks who would call Kettlebrook Church their church or their home uh, church family, obviously. So what you can do instead is fill out a, a Connect card that you'll have in the backs of the seats there and put that in the offering just to let us know you were here. This morning we are in our third and uh, final week of a very brief series that we are doing called Ambassadors. We're taking a look at one chapter in a letter called Second Corinthians that the Apostle Paul wrote. What we're trying to do is we're trying to cast vision for who we are, what we do, and why we do what we do here at Kettlebrook. And so that's where we are now. If you were here last week, Paul shared the motivation for his ministry, and therefore we heard was the motivation for our ministry. Now, I want to I just be hopefully encouraged by the amount of information you took away last week by reviewing it. So here's a question for you. If you were listening last week, if you were here, what is the motivation of our ministry? And I'll start off by saying it's Christ's what? Love. love. Hey, hey, I'm encouraged. You nine o'clockers are on it this morning. Christ's love compels us. Christ's love is what is to be that which grips us, motivates us, causes us to, to be authentic and to uh, live our lives not for ourselves and to share our faith. This morning what we're going to do is we're going to process through the message that comes out of that motivation. The message that comes out of that motivation and our role in carrying that forward. A few years ago we had this great gal in our small group. Um, her name is Julia Benson. And uh, Julia, when she was here in, um, in West Bend, she was working with Russ at, uh, as an AmeriCorps worker. I'm not sure Russ is here in this gathering, but at, so at Habitat. And so while she was working at Habitat, she was also kind of on a journey. I have a picture of her, Tim. Uh, can, some of you may remember Julia she, when she was here. So she was working for Habitat, but she was also trying to become a U.S. ambassador, which was quite a big deal. And some of you who were in our group remember all the different tests and the different things that she had to go through. And sadly for us, she had to leave eventually West Bend and go to Washington, D.C. for some more training and then go off to California for some final schooling as well. Um, but we have, Steph and the kids and I have continued to keep in contact with her. We try to Skype with her a couple times a year and we get these updates from her, which are really cool to read, these long updates. She's stationed in Lima, Peru. Um, but because what happened about a year ago is she got uh, this in the mail. And she sent it off to us uh, because she was very excited. She had achieved her goal of becoming an ambassador. Here's what this says. It's hard to read with the script. It says, The President of the United States of America, to Julia Ann Benson, a member of the Foreign Service of the United States of America, greeting, reposing special trust and confidence in your integrity, prudence, and ability, I have nominated... And by and with the advice and consent of the Senate, do appoint you a consular officer and a secretary in the diplomatic service of the United States, and do authorize and empower you to have and to hold the said office, and to exercise and enjoy the rights, privileges, and immunities thereunto appertaining during the pleasure of the President of the United States of America, the longest run-on sentence in American history. <laughs> um, they, they take it from Paul, I think, because Paul also does this. Um, 
uh, in testimony whereof, I have caused the seal of the United States of America to be hereunto affixed, done at the city of Washington this 18th day of November in the year of our Lord, that's awesome, 2015, and of the independence of the United States of America, the 240th. Isn't that cool? That is cool. Uh, Julia is, is obviously a U.S. ambassador. And we always look forward to, as I said, hearing from her. Now, if you think about it, the words that are on this document are pretty significant because what it says is that the president and the, sen- and the Senate put their trust and confidence in her ability, her prudence, and her, um, her integrity. And she has been authorized and empowered not only to hold the office of an, of an ambassador or secretary of, the, of, kind of the United States, but she's able to exercise the rights of that position. Now, this sounds very formal. It is very formal. Now, if you know Julia, uh, she's pretty funny. And so not all of her job is always super formal like this. She sent an email a couple of months ago that said this. She's working on uh, immigrant visas in Lima right now. So she, she wrote this email. She said, okay, so there is a section of the non-immigrant visa application which deals with the applicant's employment history. It says, briefly describe your duties. This is where people write about what they do for their jobs. Sometimes people try to fill out the application in English when they should totally be sticking to Spanish. I had an applicant at the window the other day who wrote that his duties were welder, nipple, deckhand. <laughs> it was so funny that I shot it over to my coworker asking for help, and then he made another comment that cracked me up even more. Then I felt bad because I knew I shouldn't be laughing. I just couldn't help it. And then the applicant wasn't qualified and I had to reject him anyway, so I felt doubly bad because I was giggling and then rejected him. (laughs) It is still funny though. That's what she writes. So uh, at the end of the day, uh, she is an ambassador and she is a global representative for our our country uh, around the world. She has this special authority and responsibility. Now, for your sakes, um, Julia is the only U.S. ambassador that I personally know. But... Here's the deal. Every follower of Jesus Christ is meant to be an ambassador for Him. And that would be many of you here in this room. So every one of us who are followers of Jesus Christ are meant to be an ambassador for Him. And so uh, we are given special authority and special responsibility to represent Him wherever we go. Now we're going to look at that in a text that we're going to finish up here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. So I'd encourage you to grab a Bible and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's on page 819 in the Brown Bibles. And if you're visiting with us, we'd encourage you to grab a Bible and follow along so you can read this uh, with us as we go, uh, page 819. And if you are here and you don't own a Bible, uh, please feel free to take one of those brown ones home with you. The only condition would be that we just ask that you would continue to read it. Um, so... <clears throat> Here's, here's where we're at. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 16. And as we go there, just to give you a little bit of a context, 2 Corinthians is a letter that Paul wrote. He was a, a missionary church planter. He went to Corinth. They've got a, a map here of uh, Greece and where Corinth is, uh, just west of where Athens is. And Paul was not always a missionary church planter. At one time he was actually a, a hater of Christians and wanted to eradicate them until the risen Jesus Christ met him and changed his life, did a 180, and he became this missionary church planner and ambassador for Christ wherever he went. He went to Corinth, formed a community of faith there, 
And then he left to go do it elsewhere. And after he left, some people came in. They started to kind of do some divisive things and say some things that were against the gospel. And so Paul wrote a, a letter, or a few letters. And one of them that we have is a second letter where he's defending his ministry. He's defending himself and he's encouraging Christ followers there. And as I said, last week we looked at, as we looked at the motivation for his ministry, this week we're going to see the message that flows out of that motivation and our responsibility to carry it forward. So here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. Actually, before I read it, let me pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that we can open up this word, that we can read it in our own language, and that we can understand it. We pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're saying to us through it. We know that we are bringing stuff to this text. We pray that we would, um, that you would kind of give us a clean slate and show us anew what it is that you're doing right here in these words. We know this is relevant, Father. Help us to, to see how it applies to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now, I want to stop there because that is so thick. There's so much stuff going on there. Now, let me start with this, though. When you look at people, what do you see? When, when you see other people, what do you see? Because we have this knee-jerk reaction. It's called the flesh. It's called the worldly point of view that... that that causes us when we look at people to do a series of things. We start to evaluate. We start to categorize based on maybe what, how they're dressed, based on maybe the color of their skin, based maybe on um, their economic status or what they maybe have or do not have, these kinds of things that we do. And we do this, we're looking at them from the worldly point of view. An illustration of this was uh, a couple years ago, Steph's little brother, my, my brother-in-law, He's a pharmacist, and he was up at the house, and he was talking to our kids, and he was teaching them about how uh, smoking is not good for you, okay? So, and, and so it's true, folks. If you're here and you smoke, that's okay, but it's, you know it's not good for you. Anyway, um, so the kids are like, oh, okay, they're learning about smoking is not good for you. He goes home. The next day, we're driving. We, we go from 33 down to Paradise. We get off of 45. We go down the off-ramp, and we come up to a stop stoplight, and we're in the van. The, the windows are all open, and... And uh, there's a guy who pulls up next to us. His car windows are open too, and he's, he's smoking, right? And my kids all, all at the same time decide to point and say, Smoker! <laughs> Which makes that light really long, like uncomfortably long. Okay? Like, oh, green light, green light, green light. So... We do the same things, people. We, do, we just don't point and say, smoke. I mean, we, we do this internally. We have this thing that we do. We look at people. We, we start to categorize them. We have these things in our mind. Okay? And Paul says, he used to do that too. He says, I used to look at people from a worldly point of view. I even, he says, I even looked at Jesus from a worldly point of view until Jesus met him. The resurrected Christ met him. Yeah, okay, sorry. Can't look at you from a worldly point of view anymore, Jesus. 
And then when Paul saw Jesus for who he was, who he is, he then couldn't look at other people the same way anymore. It changed the way that he looked at others as well. And he says, when, when we, we, in Christ, we can't look at people like this anymore. We have to see them differently. And Paul really had a twofold grid. After that point, he had a twofold grid. He looked at people this way. He looked at them and he said, either they are reconciled to God or they are meant to be. They're either reconciled to God or they're meant to be. That was the grid that he looked at people through. And then he goes through in this text and he starts to describe both of these people in these two categories. And he starts by talking about those who are reconciled. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. She is a new creation. We are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. That's why we don't look at each other from a worldly point of view anymore. Because when we look at those, we look and say, okay, they're reconciled, they're meant to be. And if they're reconciled, the old is gone, the new has come. We can't see them in a worldly way anymore. Some of you are here this morning, and some of you, when you hear these words that Paul wrote, you are like, thank you, God, that the old has gone and the new has come. Because you are like, oh, I know what I've done. And I know who I used to be. And praise God, that's not who I am anymore. You're reminded though sometimes, every time you see that person or you hear that song or you go to that place that you did that thing or you go drive by it, like you're reminded, but then you're reminded, you say, oh, thank you, God, that's not who I am anymore. Uh, The old is gone in Christ, the new has come. And we're not talking about taking things down to the studs and doing a renovation. We're talking about completely different new construction. The new has come in Christ. Now, having said that, this works two ways. When, when Paul says the old is gone, the new has come, he means all the old. And when we hear this, I, I, I know because I thought about this and it, was, it wasn't until this week when I was studying it, I kind of had an epiphany a little bit of my own. When he says the old is gone, what we always think is like that old bad stuff is gone. All the old bad stuff is gone. But when he says, he says, The old is gone. He means everything that's old. And that could even mean the old good stuff is gone. Wait, what? Let me, let me challenge this. Uh, A couple weekends ago, my wife was back at my parents helping out with a rummage sale. And after the rummage sale, my mom gave my wife Stephanie this, this red box. Said, take this to Troy and show him. I was excited about it because I hadn't seen this stuff for a long time. This is my Boy Scout stuff. We got a little order of the arrow action going on right here. I got a, Punt, pass, and kick metal. Yeah, I want to keep that one. Okay. I got some Weeblo stuff from Cub Scouts. All kinds of cool stuff in here. I, I was the troop historian. Think about that. I, I, I don't even know what that means. I just saw that badge. Oh, my goodness. Tro- troop historian. And then I found this bad boy right here. Merit badge sash. That's right. Now, I know what you're thinking. I didn't have a lot of merit badges. <laughs> You're gonna, it is what it is. You're going to have to get over that, all right? I didn't have a lot of merit badges. So um, this is my merit badge sash. And um, here's the deal, folks. When it comes to God, we have a mindset that if over the years when we're good, if we're good and we behave, we earn merit badges with God. Okay? This is, this is a mindset that we have. And what is, one of the implications of us thinking this way is that we then look at people from a worldly point of view because of our merit badge sash. Because here's what we do. We don't say it in point out loud, but we look at, and we have these imaginary merit badge sashes that we wear, and we look at other people, and we see either they have fewer merit badges than us, at which point we are better than them, 
or they have more merit badges than us, at which point we, at which point we become jealous of them, envious of them, and bitter. Okay? This is one of the ways that we see people through a worldly point of view. When, folks, when Paul says, anyone who is in Christ, the old has gone and the new has come, he is talking about not just the, not just the one night stand, not just the affair, not just the things that you said that were extremely hurtful. Those things are all gone in Christ from God's point of view. But it's not only those things that are gone. These things are gone too because here's the deal. Before Jesus Christ can clothe you with His righteousness... We have to take this stuff off. Before Jesus can say, here's my righteousness, we have to take this bad boy off. And, and, and some of you are like, I'd like to see you try. You're going to have to pry this thing from my cold, dead hands. Is, it, is this you? Is this you holding on to your merit badges? God says, no, no, no. Here's how this works. You take that off. The old is gone. The old is gone. And I'm going to clothe you with Christ's righteousness. It's the only way. And, and how, how does that happen? Verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ. That's how that happens. All this, the newness, the whole new talk is from God who reconciled us to Himself. He did it through Christ. He does it. Not this. Are you holding on to this? you clinging on to these merit badges? A couple of litmus tests for you, depending on where you're at. If you're still hanging on to stuff that you've done in your past and you can't let that stuff go, it's because you have not really understood what, Christ, what God has done in Christ to reconcile you to Himself. If you're still caught up in the shame of things that you've done in the past, you have, you're not experiencing the freedom of Christ. And if you're here and you're, and you're still holding on, another litmus test, if you're still holding on to your merit badges, you also have not really understood the reconciliation that God has done for you in Christ. Because regardless of how many merit badges you have, you standing in front of God trying to, 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 to be right with Him based on your merit badges is as silly looking as me standing up here with it in front of you. Probably much more silly, actually. Another, another way I want you to think about this is another view. I, I got a book we're going through with the kids. It's called Theology. Theology, a great book. I would encourage you to grab it if you've got little ones. But um, in this book, um, there is a picture. My girls love this picture. So it, it, it's, it, it's, I want you to imagine you're outside this, this afternoon and you're on your deck and you've got, you got a glass of ice-cold water. And you set it on, the, on the, the, the deck chair or whatever, the table. And over flies a bird. And it poops right in your water. That's funny, isn't it? Bird poop. <laughs> I love that. Bird poop. So here, here's what happens. You don't go, oh, five-second rule. Okay. You don't like, oh, I can get that drink around the bird poop. You're not drinking that. That's gross. But here's what we do. Here's what we do. We think, okay, well, okay, I don't want bird poop water. So you take out the dish soap and you pour some dish soap in there and be like, yeah. You're not drinking that either, folks. 
Okay, simmer down. (laughs) Here's what you need. Here's what you need. You need a whole new glass. You need a whole new glass of water. That's what we need. A whole new glass of water. That's where Christ comes in. It's from, it's from, this happens from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ. And folks, when we understand that, we are then committed with the same message of reconciliation. And, and you, you, tell me, folks, tell me this world does not need reconciliation. Tell me this world doesn't need reconciliation. We are desperate for it. We are desperate for reconciliation in Aleppo, aren't we? We are desperate for reconciliation this week in North Carolina, aren't we? We are desperate for reconciliation in Milwaukee. Black lives matter. Cop lives matter. All lives matter. When they don't, folks, we're looking at each other from a worldly point of view. But what we do is we say, well, yeah, they sure need reconciliation in Aleppo. Man, they need to figure that out. We, we look out and we say, everyone else needs reconciliation. No, no. We need reconciliation in our own hearts, in our own homes. Just this, this past week, I had a friend who called me up. And uh, he's struggling with, uh, with someone in his life, a mutual friend of ours, actually, who had made some, some tough, sad choices that's been really harmful in his marriage. And my friend told me, he said, I, I think his wife should leave him. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I know very well that there's been some significant damage done. But what is not needed here is more division. What's needed here is reconciliation, is redemption, is rescue. See, because when we, here's here's what we do, we forget. We forget. We forget, we, we struggle to reconcile with others because we forget that we have been reconciled to God. We forget. How are we reconciled to God, by the way? This text tells us, it says, that God, through Christ, does not count our sins against us. But when we're not reconciled to each other, here's what we're doing, we're counting our sins against each other. Oh, look look at what you did. Look at what you did. Oh, you did this and this. Actually, I'm keeping good count of it. I'm counting my sins or your sins against you. And then you say, well, I'm counting my, your sins against you too. And if you're honest, the answer is yes, those things have happened. Those things have happened. And yet, we have to look at the way that we treat God every single day. We sin against God. We turn against God. We think that we are God instead of God. And yet, in Jesus, the Father doesn't count our sins against us. He takes our sins and He counts them against His own Son so we can be reconciled to Him. And folks, when we really understand that we've been reconciled to God, we can't just sit in that. We can't just sit in that. We must then take up the mantle and seek to become reconcilers ourselves. God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So I want you to ask yourself, is there anyone in your life who you are withholding reconciliation from? Is there anyone in your life that you're withholding reconciliation from? Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I understand that there may be no reason for you to reconcile with them. 
you probably don't want to reconcile them until at least you get a couple things, an apology and justice, or one or the other or both, right? That's why we do that. We want an apology or we want justice to be done. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I understand maybe, you, maybe why you're withholding reconciliation, okay? But I just need to tell you from a secular point of view, you can look at Berkeley, you can look at John Hopkins, you can look at all kinds of secular universities to give you research to tell you that your health is going to be poorly uh, affected by that. Just your health, your physical health. Secular data. If you're here, though, and you say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and yet you withhold reconciliation, you've forgotten that Jesus has reconciled you. That there was justice that you deserved, that Jesus stood in your place and took on your behalf, that you are a reconciled child of the Father, and that if you really believe that, that you won't be able to keep yourself from being reconciled to others. It's who you are in Christ. You are a reconciler. And and the, the word Paul uses here is ambassador. Let's finish this text out. Verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's Word. See, folks, when God first created us, He actually made us in His image to be His image bearers, to be His ambassadors to the earth, to fill the earth with Him and to fill the earth with His image and His agenda and His glory. We, we went rogue. We said, you know what we want to do instead is we want to fill the earth with our own image and our own agenda. By the way, that does not turn out real well. I don't know if you've noticed. And then God came Himself the perfect divine ambassador himself, Jesus Christ, took on flesh. And he said the kingdom is at hand when he came. He was the perfect reconciler, the perfect ambassador who came not only with the, me- the message of reconciliation, but he was the message. He is the message of reconciliation. He is it. And therefore, we who have been reconciled, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal. Listen to this. God is making his appeal through us to the world, just like it was meant to be. And Paul takes this message personally here. He says, we implore you, Corinthians, be reconciled to God. We beg you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. And I want to personalize this right here, right now. Some of you here are not reconciled to God. Some of you here are not reconciled to God. You know it. And you know it because either of all the baggage that you have, the things that you've done, or all the merit badges that you think you've got. And so, on Christ's behalf, on Paul's behalf, on the behalf of the elders of this church, on behalf of me personally, I implore you to be reconciled to God. I beg you, be reconciled to God. It's possible, and the way that it's possible is that he who was without sin, completely perfect, holy, blameless, righteous, the whole thing, he who knew no sin, you're over here, your sin, guilt, shame, imperfection, unholiness, unrighteousness, lust, greed, selfishness, he took all that over here 
so that we might become all this over here. Amen. And therefore, being new, we are reconcilers. We're given the ministry of reconciliation. We're to be ambassadors. Let me ask this question. Who are you an ambassador to? Who are you an ambassador to in your life? As though God is making His appeal through you. Now, I, I didn't know if this was going to be cheesy or not, so I'm going to just risk the cheese. Here we go. Show this next slide. I was going to, I was going to, no, not that one. Uh, sorry, the one after that. There we go. Sorry, Tim. I'm in the wrong order. So I rewrote this thing, okay? And I was going to make these and print them out for you, but it was stuff was like, that's so cheesy. Okay. So here we go. The Almighty God, too, you put your name in there if you're in Christ. A child of the kingdom, greeting. Reposing perfect trust and confidence in my Son, Jesus Christ, and His perfection, righteousness, and holiness, I have reconciled you to myself through Him and do appoint you an ambassador of the ministry of reconciliation of the kingdom of God and do authorize and empower you by the Holy Spirit to make an appeal to the world on my behalf. In, testimo- uh, with the, uh, in testimony whereof, I have caused the seal of my Holy Spirit to be affixed upon your heart, done at the cross in the empty tomb, so my kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to think about this would be your commissioning document. This would be something you could carry around and say, this is, I am an ambassador for Christ. Now, I want to be very practical as I close here. Because when we share vision about who we are, I'm reminded uh, of something. A couple years back, the first time I sat down with Debbie Anderson, the director of the senior center in her office, and the first time I sat down with Bonnie DeBrew at the family center to kind of say, here's what we think God may be leading us towards. What about this idea of building a community center? I had, I had to be honest, I had something in my gut. It wasn't anxiety, it wasn't fear, it was a gut check. It was just a gut check. And I've had it for two years, if you haven't heard me talk about it before. And the gut check is that we would somehow become about this building. And I was reminded about it uh, when I got a T-shirt from uh, my father, okay, who, who gave me this. You can put that, that slide up there. So this is a T-shirt. It's from the church that I grew up in, and I say this with great love for this church that planted some seeds God used to plant this, the seeds, I think, of the gospel in my heart at an early age through this church, so I don't want to rip on it. And, uh, but here's what happened. They uh, were doing a building project at one point, and they were handing out these T-shirts. And on here, obviously, it says, Remembering the Past. That's the first building that they had built. Serving the present, that's the second building that they were currently in at the time, and then preparing for the future with a picture of the future building. Okay? Now, I guarantee you that whoever put this T-shirt together was, had no other like, motives other than trying to generate you know, excitement about the renovation. Okay? So not imposing any impure motives. But this is the gut check that I want to make sure I share with you. Because um, this is my fear that we would think, hey, come check out this building instead of come check out the God who has reconciled us to Himself. My fear would be that we would say, hey, come check out this sweet sound system and these awesome cushy chairs rather than come check out the King who left His throne to come into this mess and destructive world to bring reconciliation and restoration. We, we do remember the past. You know what we remember about the past? That Jesus Christ saved us. We do serve the present. Serving a Jesus Christ who continues to save us, who makes us reconcilers, who appeals through us by His Spirit. We do prepare for the future. 
the day that we will be ultimately, perfectly, eternally saved in Christ, made new once and for all. If I were to give you a t-shirt, folks, that would say Kettlebrook on it, what I would want it maybe to say is, remembering the past and having a picture of Jesus. Serving the present and having a picture of Jesus. Preparing for the future and having a picture of Jesus. Because we are Christ's ambassadors. And He is making His appeal through us. And folks, ambassadors by definition are sent out. They're sent out to be representatives wherever they are of Jesus Christ. And we are sent out into this community and into this world because God's making His appeal through us. We are, messenger, we are ambassadors of the message of reconciliation through Christ. We're motivated by the love of Christ. Folks, that's who we are. That's what we do. And that's why we do it. Join us. Join us in doing that. Let's pray. Father, may we be ambassadors of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, help us to know that we are either reconciled or we are meant to be. And then help us to live as reconcilers, as ambassadors. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.